0: You're listening to an Airwave Media podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. It's their story, their story is Yes, you got to hear their story. You want to listen to this episode, you're going to want to know more about these these animals. They are What can they teach us?
1: humanize them or anthropomorphize them or anything like that but i i want i want to use them as a window into teaching us humans about ourselves and about being more humane
0: many species are in crisis and need your help join the movement at allcreaturespod.com Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris.
1: And I'm Angie.
0: I cannot wait to record this episode. I could not wait to record this episode.
1: It's a great one. It's a fun one. That's why I had to open with laughter. Yes. uh, Because that is true laughter from a bonobo, Mm
0: -hmm. which is one of
1: our closest relatives. And yes, they enjoy a good giggle and they'll laugh when they're tickled, which... I know I can relate to that as, as do my kids. So yes. And I'm just so excited to talk all about bonobos today and share them with bonobo lovers first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And then for animal lovers in general that are saying, what's a bonobo?
0: I, Angie, I never understood the difference between a bonobo and a chimpanzee. I literally thought they were the same exact thing. I didn't realize there was a difference. And to come to find out no we've and we've known for almost a hundred years there's a difference. It's just a lot of people don't know there's a difference
1: right and of course, um gorillas and orangutans and chimpanzee, our closest relative, uh they take the stage because well, there's a lot more research into them they're mm-hmm. and they're more widely seen uh throughout accredited zoos and things like that and Truth be told, I really didn't understand the difference either till about, probably about five years ago. I, uh, stumbled upon wanting to know more about them in general. I stumbled upon this amazing book called the bonobo handshake. Uh (laughs) So I'll have to give it to you. It's a great, great book and uh, we'll, we'll link it to our website and. Just, yeah, uh, just a little, uh, um, a little spoiler alert. The, uh, bonobo handshake, they, they do not use their hands. When, <laughs> no, they don't. And <laughs> <when> greeting <laughs> they each don't. other. They so don't. They don't. yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful book by author Vanessa Woods. And uh, I'll, we'll be, I'll be talking more about, uh, some of her work and mission to save, bono- save bonobos in the wild, uh, later mm-hmm. on towards the end of the podcast. And I'll also be highlighting some work today by her husband, uh, who is Dr. Brian. Hare or hare—I'm not sure how to say mm-hmm. that—but uh, he's a evolutionary anthropology professor at Duke University and is also uh, very much involved in a lot of bonobo research and evol- evolved over in Africa, helping, helping conserve them and learn more about them mm-hmm. and conserve uh, the few bonobos that are left. And oh,
0: it's their story. Their story is. Yes, you gotta hear their story. You want to listen to this episode. You're gonna want to know more about these, these animals. They are, uh, jaw-dropping, amazing. I-
1: Yeah, well they share 98% of our DNA. DNA. I mean, they're, they're, and so that's my goal. I mean, obviously, I- I'm not a primatologist. I'm Mm -hmm. not a a great ape expert behaviorist, which is why I got the book. Cause I'm like, I need to learn more about these guys Mm -hmm. specialize in hooves and horns. And of course Mm the nobles have neither, but my approach today is to come from this point of, I don't want to humanize them or anthropomorphize them or anything like that. But I, I want, I want to use them as a window into teaching us humans about ourselves Mm-hmm. and about being more humane because their behavior is just just really, really cool. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think they have so much to teach us, and that's also going to be my underlying goal too is to get people excited about wanting to conserve them and why we should care and why we should want to stay one of our closest relatives.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean – uh, one of these days, yeah, hopefully we can get Jane Goodall on. That's our goal.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. Exactly. Well, I, 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 yeah, well, I, I'll have to reach out to, uh, like I said, uh, Vanessa or O'Brien and maybe c too, yeah. because they're the experts. I mean, they're doing studies in the oh, wild. Yeah. I mean, behavior observations, like it's where a lot of the data I'm going to talk about today came from. Mm-hmm. So the people that have a real intimate view in these marvelous creatures and oh, are they're, working yeah. their, Working tirelessly to save them. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and you know, for people that haven't listened before, Angie and I a few years ago did get to meet Jane at all, and and I'll probably put our photos up this week in the show notes just because it's yeah, you know, they're, they're related chimpanzees, and she does so much, so much, and has done so much. One of my biggest heroes ever in my life, as a, from a young kid to today. So the bonobo, you know, it's a great ape. It used to be called the pygmy chim- chimpanzee. But now we know it's a different species, So, and they are endangered. So that story, we're going to tell a little bit about it today, about how they are heading towards extinction, and we need to to fight for them. But first, I just want to thank you to Jennifer and Savannah this week for joining us on Patreon.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. I love Savannah, too. Oh, my gosh. I
0: know. It's such a beautiful name. Both of them uh, joined, and just thank you so much for the support, you know, again, for – at minimum a ca- cappuccino a month, you can support Angie and I in, in our goal to educate the masses on what's going on out there in the world. And, you know, also just a quick shout out to Court. He reached out to me on Instagram and now email and I get to email him back, but he's in college and we get these every now and then and, and, and they're wonderful. And he's just wondering how he can focus on a career in conservation. So, we're going to start some dialogue between him and me to, uh, you know, see how he can become a wildlife warrior like our listeners. So thank you. Thank
1: you guys and gals
0: and gals. Now you did talk about the bonobo handshake. So we're going to get to there, but I mean, what does a bonobo look like? First, I just said they're, they're pygmy chimpanzees, but the thing is they're the same size as other chimpan, not other chimpanzees. They're the same size as chimpanzees. It's just they're more, what I read was more graceful, more slender.
1: Yeah, Chris. I mean, they look a lot alike. And if you check out our show notes, you might say like, that just looks like a chimpanzee. Mm-hmm. But if you put pictures side by side, you can start to see that the bonobo's head, as you mentioned, is, is smaller. uh And a, and it has less prominent brow ridges than a chimpanzee above their eyes. Uh And it also has a black face with pink lips. And small ears, and wide nostrils. So it's very, very similar. But I think most of the differences probably occur not in the body size, like you said, but more in just kind of the slender or petite na- nature of um, their head and some other
0: features. Well, and then I read that the hair parts down the middle in Bonobos, like yeah. that is the cutest thing ever. The babies are just like... A- Oh my gosh, so adorable. <laughs> so and, adorable. Yeah. Yeah. And so size is, there is sexual dimorphism with the adults weighing more, being a little bit bigger than the females. So a male on average weighs about 85 to 86 pounds. That's about 39 kilograms. Uh, it can get up to like 2.7 feet tall or what is that? Uh, 83 centimeters. Females, 68 pounds or 30 kilograms and about two and a half feet tall. Or 76 centimeters. So, you know, it's about the similar size as chim- chimpanzees. And it's funny. I, I One of the things I looked for, and I actually had to dig a little bit for this because like, I've seen it at zoos and other places. Their arm span width. Okay. For humans, it's about one times the size of us. Right. So, right, so it's I, your
1: height, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I put my arms out. It should be about six foot five inches. Mm-hmm. i'm sorry i don't know what that is in centimeters but something yeah <laughs> bonobos and chimpanzees their arm spans about one and a half times their body size could you imagine like i was thinking like imagine telling angie okay for me that's like a nine to ten foot <laughs> span you <Yeah. laughs> imagine what we'd look like if we carried that same you know uh body sizes cousins? Yeah, yeah yeah it's pretty amazing so yeah, they're just what dark hair. I mean, you know, ch- chimpanzee looking, but mm-hmm. like Angie said, a little bit differences. Now, Angie, the re- the reason their story is so important and critical is because where they are in the world, and they're only in one country, the Demo- mm-hmm. Democratic Republic of Congo, in Central Africa.
1: And I know they're listening, so hello. Yes, I everyone. know, I know, I know. From it's Central so awesome. Africa.
0: Yeah, we get downloads there. It's amazing. It's amazing. So this is really not only where wildlife around the world, it's not just Africa. It's, it's, you know, Asia and South America. We spent quite a bit of time in South America the last few weeks uh, with different species, you know, here in North America, jaguar, you know, we pushed them out of the states, mm-hmm. United States. So. You know, we're not, we we never pick on a, a, an area. It's just telling the truth what's going on. So this part of Africa, there has been quite a few wars, okay, that right, we know.
1: Yes. A sidebar is that the Democratic Republic of Congo was formerly Zaire, if that
0: helps mm-hmm, anyone mm-hmm, put the pieces mm-hmm. together. Right. So, you know, one of the things I was looking up was just kind of what's going on with conservation there. And in all of this conflict that started around nineteen ninety eight, and what these organizations are saying is, is, conservation efforts in this part of the world are, are very challenged because you know there is a lot of corruption. There is governance is changing all the time, so law enforcement it's weak, and the infrastructure is not there. Then you throw in these wars, and so things like forest elephants, which we've talked about before. Uh, a copy we've talked about before, are in trouble. So, and then the governments in that part of Africa, it varies by country by country. So Gabon, very strong conservation efforts there, where in the DRC, it's, it, it's very weak.
1: Yes. And I, I was lucky enough to travel uh, a country just south of the DRC uh, in Zambia and mm-hmm. saw really great, conservation efforts there in, on uh, North Luanga, trying to reintroduce rhino up into that historical range. And then I spent a while in Tanzania also helping on a wildebeest project. So I'm familiar with some of the countries in the area, but I have not been to the Democratic Republic of Congo. And uh, I have colleagues that have and say that's it's beautiful and the wildlife is just impeccable and the people mm-hmm. are wonderful. When you talk about safety issues and concerns regarding, regarding either tourism or conservation initiatives. That's obviously mm-hmm. what's key is, yeah, it can definitely be uh, trickier uh than, and some of the other uh countries in Africa.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no. And you're right. So the DRC is really central Africa right there in the middle. Right. And mm-hmm. then you go East, there's, you know, Uganda, Rwanda and Burundi. And so, that's where we talked about. They're having a lot of success with mountain gorilla conservation right. and ter- ecotourism. So Ron Evans, awesome interview. If you haven't heard that one, it, it, he's amazing. Uh, the work he's done with gorillas at the Cincinnati Zoo. Then you go further east, and you have Tanzania and Kenya. South, you have Zambia, Angola, Mozambique, and then north, you have you know Sudan, Central African Republic, Republic of Congo, Gabon, Cameroon. You know, surrounding it. So that's the geography, the landscape there within these countries, these rainforests. So in the DRC, it's about 45% of the country is rainforest. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. Gabon, it's like 80, 85%. It's, it's a lot there. So they are dominated a lot by that. Now there is a lot of biodiversity there. And then you, so with these conflicts, You have many species in crisis, which, you know, the bonobo is is suffering because of this. And, you know, here the biodiversity, they have like 11,000 species of plants, 450 mammals, 1,100 birds, 300 reptiles, 1,500 different fish. I mean, it's huge. It's huge. So the Congo war began in 1998 and officially ended in 2003, but there's still a lot of strife and there's still a lot of rebels in there, especially in the Eastern half where you find bonobos. So, you know, I read a statistic by 2008, there was almost five and a half million people killed in this part of the world. More deaths than World War II. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a lot of civil strife. So, you could only imagine these these researchers you're talking about trying to save and study these animals in one of the most contentious parts of the world. I mean, my God, it, it's talk about going
1: conservation off. heroes, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, that's
1: been reading some of the, you know reading some of the history and reading, like I said, the Bonobo handshake and just trying to wrap my head around a lot of what's going on in that area and and comparing it to the parts of Africa uh, that I have been to and mm-hmm. just being like wow these people are amazing and they're doing amazing things and they're fighting mm-hmm. the good fight and yeah so so hats off to the researchers uh, oh, in and that, in that neck of the
0: woods for sure i can only imagine i can only imagine you know it's uh, my, yeah my hat goes off to them i you know i, I just wow so if you go to IUCN and read, you're going to see their estimates are about fifteen to 20,000 bonobos left. Some researchers are saying there was less than 10,000 left in the 90s, and they think that's even be, been halved after this civil war that they had. So there could be as few as 5,000. And with in recent years, with more armed conflict in bonobo habitat, they're in deep trouble. They're in deep, deep trouble.
1: Yes, and we'll talk about it when we get to reproduction and life cycle, but they have a slow gener- generation interval. I mean, they put, just like us, trust me, I'm mm-hmm. home right now with a six-year-old and three-year-old. <laughs> I put a lot of time into those kids each and every day. Yeah. Uh, in fact, this is my only free time, which is why I do the podcast. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <Yeah>. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, there's a lot of maternal investment, and so – to increase the population to sustainable or healthy or non-endangered numbers is not something that can happen overnight.
0: No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I mean, so with the civil strife, what happens is is there's butchery. They they kill them for meat, so to eat them. That is a big concern for them. Yeah, bushmeat. Bushmeat and... Here's the thing, Angie, in today's pandemic that we're living through, what some researchers are really scared about is the bonobos transmuting viruses to us, you know, through this is a big concern. Like I know Ebola is, is from monkeys and eating bushmeat. Now what they're really concerned is, is us transmuting viruses to them, especially this coronavirus, this COVID-19. That is making the news the last few days that yes. researchers around the world are super concerned for our endangered primates, especially the great apes.
1: Yes, Chris. We know that coronavirus is a zoonotic disease, which means, as you said, it can go from humans to animals mm-hmm. and back and forth theoretically. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. know it came from an original animal source. Uh, there's still debating and brilliant researchers are trying to figure exactly who the whole species was. Right, right. And at this point, there's no evidence that humans can infect primates.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: However, we don't really want to find the answer out to that, right? Like that we no. don't, uh, uh, it, it's not something, it's like playing with fire, especially when you talk about these really small, populations of either like mountain gorillas you talked about earlier Mm -hmm. or talking about bonobos or really any great apes i mean Mm -hmm. orangutans Mm -hmm. so i mean yeah uh there was a a report of a tiger at the bronx zoo in the united states testing positive for coronavirus Mm covid19 and speculations that it came from a human uh originated from a human source perhaps a keeper uh, that's still being currently investigated and, um, there hasn't been too much follow up with that. So, but yes, it's stuff def- we, Chris and I always talk about this, uh, on the podcast with these really small populations as far as one natural catastrophe mm. or uh, like we had with the Australian, uh, bushfires bush this virus, past yeah. summer. So that's one of the biggest reasons for any populations, whether they're one of our closest relatives or or, or an insect is that when you have really, really small populations, they can crash due to disease within them, uh, zoonotic diseases potentially from us, or a, a catastrophe, natural catastrophe, natural
0: disaster, yeah,
1: yeah. So it is; it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And I'm sure researchers in that area are and conservation um, fellows and things that are working out in the DRC with the small population of bonobos are doing everything I would imagine to, uh, to be safe during these, uh, mm-hmm. unprecedented and unknown times.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just another one too, that they talked about is HIV originated. They believe evidence originated from chimpanzees and, you know, they don't know how the the samples either, you know, through this bushmeat or whatever, got into the human population, but it did. And, so their interest in the bonobos, if they carry it, and so far they have not found any carriers of, of SIV, which is the equivalent in the, the bonobos. So, so we don't know. So they, you know, there's just it's just not. I guess the the take home is this area of the world. There's a lot of civil strife, and here you have one of our closest relatives. This is our cousin. This is your your hairy uncle. Your <laughs> your, your little no. cousin that drives you nuts. Check, check. <laughs> but you know they're they're sweeter and kinder than you are because they just are. They're just such amazing creatures as you're going to find out. And they're family, and they're teaching us a lot in behavior. And so we need to really, really protect these animals and what's left of, in, in that area of the world. So we need to keep our eye there and to see how we can help.
1: Oh, yeah, there's several reasons from a human perspective of why care. Uh, we've touched on a lot of them, but other things is that they're super charismatic. I mean, they're a megafauna, right? They are uh, something big and beautiful that help people want to save the habitat that they live in for all the other species as well. So kind of like an umbrella species, if you will. And we'll talk about it when we get to nutrition, they're omnivores, but they do eat a lot of fruit, Uh, which is another reason why I love my, I love myself some fruit too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And therefore they're going to have a role in being a seed disperser uh, from different plants and fruits and things that they eat and in, enforce in where they live. So, and I, I hope, like I said, by the end of this podcast, that we'll do a little bit of deeper dive into learning more about ourselves. That's, what I feel like they're going to help us do, whether it's from a disease perspective or from a behavior sp- perspective or from a society perspective or from a maternal perspective, Uh they just they've uh they've got a lot of fun stuff going on.
0: Oh yeah, they're 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 awesome. They're awesome. They're awesome. All right. So, let's do a little bit uh I'm just so
1: happy that you're so geeked about this. We've been talking <laughs> about this for weeks now. I know. And we always I, I, every species is a little different and we end up of course having so much fun, but I, I feel like uh the past couple of weeks this has brought you and I even closer just sharing videos and stories and oh, just being they're... like yeah, it's been a good, just... it's, it's been a very nice distraction uh as yeah. as learning more about them and really doing some deep dives.
0: Yeah. It's just, I mean, I go back. There's moments in our podcasting history where my jaws just hit the ground. uh, And one was the orcas, which I'm going to, when we get to behavior and talk about culture, like you just blew me away. This is a species. I mean, you learn so much every week, but this is a species that I just was like, I wish I didn't wait this long to learn about them.
1: Right. Like, yes. No, I felt just, like, like I said, years ago when I bought this book, I, it was still, I was out of college and I think I had already worked at a zoo. And I will say now it's, I'm now that I have some age and more wisdom on me, wisdom, yeah. uh, I, I, I really regret not being a grade eight keeper because I did do some primate studies earlier on in my career. Uh, but I was never a keeper for primates and then, as my keeper career unfolded, it was mostly a lot of hoofstock, birds, reptiles, which I had so much fun learning about those guys, and uh, potentially had opportunities to work with great apes, but I just at the time I didn't think that it was my area, a niche that I mm-hmm. could really felt drawn to. But now, like I said, now looking back, uh, since theoretically I may have may not had the opportunity if they would have. Let me transfer something there or at least cross train and I had a couple of good friends of course that worked with great apes when i uh mm-hmm. when I was in Chicago and I would go over there and interact and watch training sessions and do things like that but yeah i i it's uh it's definitely something I regret now looking back at uh at things um so it's you, too I
0: too late to go back i know true, to go back. That's true yeah I, you just
1: could not tear tear me away yeah. from my talking zeros I and know, camels i just I know, couldn't I, I just so but yeah I, I, that's why after i left the zoo i wanted to learn more and uh mm-hmm. and, and yeah i realized that i had been missing bonobos and they're just kind uh, and romantic
0: you behavior. and i you know when i'm old i'm definitely being a docent at a zoo like you and i are just gonna walk around the zoo even oh, like if we don't sure. get hired by him I'm just gonna put on like a fake vest and walk around and say, "Do you know about this? I know. Do you and know I'll, these guys?"
1: What I'll probably end up doing is as much I'll, I'll, I'll like I'll end up wanting to be the goat yard or the goat yard docent and working yeah. in the goat yard so I can just <laughs> rub goats. on goats all day long <laughs> not get paid it. and just be in heaven. Uh,
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We will be docents one day in our retirement. All right. So, crash course in Chris, evolution. we're docents
1: right now. Just I know. <laughs> a different we are
0: to the world we are.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, okay. So uh, we we've, we've done primates, many primates. So this is just kind of a review, just more on the bonobos. Hominidae. So this is all the great apes. Your bonobos, chimpanzees, orangutans and gorillas. Now, the common chimpanzee lives north of the Congo River. The bonobo lives south. So this goes back to our gorilla episode where the gorillas are separated by the river. Same thing we see in bonobos. So that is why they used to think they were similar species. But in 1928, they realized, no, they're not. They are two separate species. So you have the family of hominidae. And then the genus is Pan. So the scientific name of bonobos is Pan. Panisicus, very easy. Mm-hmm. The chimpanzee. I love that is, one. <laughs> yeah, it's easy. And then the chimpanzee is Pan troglodytes. Troglodytes. So
1: troglodytes, maybe I can't. Yeah,
0: remember. there you go. A, a plus. A plus. So the first part, the first part, whatever you say, it right? I just move on. That's perfect. Thank you.
1: <laughs> That's why I'm You're, here. That's why I'm here.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah. Once
1: in a while, most yeah. of the time no, I just yeah. let you chop it up, and I have no idea if it's right or wrong. Uh,
0: yeah, uh, you just go. Hey, good job. Uh, the um, but your Spanish is brilliant because I have no idea what you're saying. The <laughs> the first primates, you know, 55 million years ago. Just again, we have the primate permiss- prosimians, so lemurs, lorises, uh, terracers. So those are prosimians. <sighs> we got to do another lemur soon. Yes. Then the anthropoids. So the New World monkeys, Old World monkeys, the gibbons, which is a lesser great ape, and then our great apes. Orangutans, gorillas, chimpanzees, bonobos, and I forgot one, us, homo sapien. So, all right. Now, Angie, we didn't evolve from chimpanzees or bonobos. Surprise. We did not evolve from them. Oh, right. Yes. Right. We share a common ancestor. Now, it used to be like six million years ago. Now, it's more dated. It's about four and a half million years ago. Okay. The fossil, and we're still learning about human ancestry, right? Because it, the tree isn't completely full yet. But this fossil has been traced. This is the common ancestor, and it's Ardipithecus ramid, ramidus. Ramidus, it is Ramidus, dating about four and a half million years ago, which is they believe today is the ancestor to both chimpanzees, bonobos, and hu- Homo sapiens. Kinda of looks like one of your ex-boyfriends, I think, or maybe one of my ex-girlfriends. I don't know. A, a couple of them.
1: <laughs> there just, there was definitely a, a couple uh, a couple toads on, yes. <laughs> before I met Prince John. <laughs> I
0: know. I met my princess, you met your prince. So but don't write his hate mail. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh you know, that's probably what they think of me or what I looked like uh with with all the hair. But so this is where we 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 branched off. And humans about three million years ago, this, our ancestor really started to walk upright. You know, the, the legs got longer, our mm-hmm. toes could turn forward and, you know, we became full time walkers. So that's a little bit about that. Now, between bonobos and chimpanzees, genetics in the last decade suggests that it was about a million years ago, between 900,000 and a million years ago is when they split. Okay, and basically, that Congo River is what divided them, and yeah. And
1: I don't know if we yeah. mentioned that with uh, the bonobos, but they live s- only south of the South Congo That's River it. in Just the DRC. South, mm-hmm. yeah, and chimpanzees for, for right. all of our uh Central Africa geography listeners. buffs out there, yeah,
0: and listeners and listeners, <laughs> so. Now, looking at the genome, the bonobo genome is about 996 identical to ch- chimpanzees, and you said 98.7% identical to the human. So we only have a 1.3% genetic difference between bonobos. And like I said, some of our exes might be closer to like 0%, but <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to get so much hate mail for that. All right. Now, that's evolution in a nutshell. Largest hominid Ever, Angie. Oh, we
1: probably played this back on chimpanzees. No? Yeah, we
0: haven't done chimpanzees yet. Oh. We did a ring of tents. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Okay. but this clearly, is a... I,
1: I, clearly, I remember very well.
0: How about not the beefiest? How about the tallest? Ooh. Uh,
1: seven feet tall.
0: No. Higher. Ten. Lower. <laughs> Divided. Eight. Divided. And a half? Oh, almost nine feet tall. Okay, nine. That's tall. Eight feet, feet, 11 inches tall, 2.7 meters. This this hominid weighed 440 pounds. Wow. Okay. Lived to be 22. His name was Robert Pershing Wadlow. (laughs) He he was born in 1918, passed away in 1940. He was known as the Alton Giant, the Giant of Illinois. He is the tallest person ever in history. And what happened is he had hyperplasia of the pituitary gland.
1: Yeah, which I kicked out a lot had, of growth hormone.
0: Yep, HGH, just human growth yeah, hormone. Yeah,
1: oh, oh, that's right. We use that example yeah.
0: in endocrinology. I, I there guess you really go. Know, there I you guess go. I didn't know his name. Yeah, I'm Robert Wadlow. Names. He's the largest or tallest hominid. Now, we had the huge orangutan. Like, oh, I was going to say, I thought that okay. was, yeah. okay. Yeah, it was massive. It was like, but yeah, I don't think it was nine feet tall. So, I thought i threw you for a loop. Uh, you did good.
1: <laughs> yes, keep me <laughs> on my toes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, God, nine feet tall. Like,
1: jeez. <laughs> I can't even.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh, but poor guy. Uh, just anyways. All right. Uh. Bonobos can live under human care over 50 years uh, in the wild. We don't know because, again, you're going to find out we don't know a lot about them. But chimpanzees lived about 40 to 50. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's it's probably very similar. Some of the things that are interesting, bonobos, are they like water. You know, they're not scared of it. Like chimpanzees don't like water, where bonobos do. Uh, bonobos a little bit different. They like to actually their skeleton's a little bit more upright. So they and that's the pictures and videos you watch of them. Yeah, they walk upright a lot more than a chimpanzee does. A lot more.
1: They're sure. more
0: comfortable doing it. Yeah. yeah. So they're more. The, what I read was their skeletal anatomy is more closely related to Australopithecus, our ancestor, or our exes, um, compared to chimpanzees.
1: Well. Bonobos yeah. and chimpanzees—they're primarily knuckle walkers. So knuckle that's walkers, their yeah. Na- that's yeah. their main mode, but they will, at times, as you mentioned, walk bipedally, so only on two feet. And right. as right. you, like you said, bonobos will do that more frequently than chimpanzees.
0: Right. They're more comfortable doing that. So some amazing. Like I just, you know, if if you're near a computer or whatever, just. Type in bonobos and just look at all the images. Yeah, uh, there's just, some great
1: YouTube videos out there yeah. for sure that'll like blow your mind. Lots of fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. All right, so nutrition, just really quick, like Angie said, they're omnivores, but they mainly eat leaves, you know, fruit, uh, insects, worms. They love worms. I I read really like uh, earthworms are like a, a snack or, or is like <laughs> oh, a, a yeah, dessert a treat for them. Mm. Yeah, they love it. They leaves and stems and stuff, and then mushrooms,
1: like, eggs,
0: yeah, anything they can. That, that, like we would eat in the wild, I guess, sometimes small
1: mammals,
0: yeah, or small fish. You mm-hmm. know, they'll try to catch fish, but they don't and, aggressively
1: hunt am, animals or mammals,
0: right? Like you see, chimpanzees do. Like they hunt and they go for monkeys. You know, the old world monkeys in Africa they will they will actively hunt them and do that it's just, uh, just, I mean, this some of the behavior surrounding nutrition. I know Angie's going to go around this. They definitely, they, they share food. They're not greedy at all. Uh, they, during the day, they they're on the in trees or on the ground or both. And one of the things that they have scientists have observed as far, far as water is they will take moss and s- soak up water out of trees and, and suck it. So the tool use, Clever. Mm-hmm. you know? yeah, they, I've even read, you know, they do the, the rain hat, like the orangutan, like that picture, that famous picture is just awesome with that young one with the, uh, the large leaf over its head. Like oh, an, an umbrella. umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. But they'll, bonobos, I read they'll, they'll actually make a leaf hat and wear it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like an Easter bonnet. I love it.
0: Yes. Yes. This is why you fall in love with them. And then they'll even make toothpicks out of twigs. It, like clean their teeth. Nobody, like, nobody
1: wants that—that that little diker caught in their teeth, right?
0: <laughs> it's just, oh, they're amazing. They're amazing. They're amazing. But you know, I—I I, I know a lot. We're going to cover a lot of behavior. So I don't know if you had any more, you know, physiology facts or anything, but I just wanted to get to behavior.
1: Well, yes, Chris. Their social behavior is where, and and some of their reproductive behaviors where we'll be spending a, a, a fair amount of time because mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. a lot of fun. But in regards to other types of behavior is, and I know you want to talk about this, is their communication. So we opened with a vocalization of a bonobo laughing because that is a way that they express themselves. And as one of our closest relatives, they are very, very expressive. And so they're going to have a wide berth of vocalizations, just like you and I do. Uh, They may scream, I did that a few times a day at the kiddos because <laughs> their, their homeschooling is not going so well. Uh, but uh, and the males will bark and grunt. They do uh, panting and hoot, hoot sounds, uh, make alarm calls. And so just they basically have a lot of different contexts that they communicate vocally. And it means something, right? It's almost they're not words like you and I say but the the context is there and they definitely can get their message across uh a bonobo does have a higher pitched voice than a chimpanzee so if you're an expert or even if not if you put two calls near each other you can definitely hear the high pitchness of the bonobo sound mm-hmm. um but they do have some overlapping repertoire as far as some of their calls and sounds and barks and things like that or like I said, the pant laugh, but just like humans, of course, when I have a bad moment, I might yell at my kids,
0: but not you, <laughs> not you, <laughs> like it's, literally. It's rare. Like,
1: it happens though. I know, oh yeah. I know. Uh, Every parent in the world right yeah, now has yeah. had that moment. Yes. And has so, had that moment. but what we, I try to usually do and what works 99% of the time is use facial and or visual cues mm-hmm. to tell them. Especially like when we used to be out in public last month to tell them mama is getting mad, you know, that that kind of that scowl and like the raising the one eyebrow and glaring into their souls. So bonobos, great apes, or even primates in general have a lot of visual facial cues that they do. And just some, just some highlights of bonobos, uh, is that with these, with their expressive faces, they, We'll do something called silent teeth bearing, mm-hmm. tense mouth. Oh, I had a case of tense mouth before I yelled. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 tense yep, mouth. Like,
1: they have a silent pout. Okay. They have a duck face, a play face. And this is, like I said, just a small percentage of some of the faces they make. And this made me giggle. Uh, bonobos will often peer at one another. And this peering behavior indicates interest in another bonobo. So maybe they have a food item that <laughs> the bonobo would want them to share, or maybe they're interested so, in some courtship behavior, and right. whatever you want to say. I know that you've peered at people before, and I definitely. I'm,
0: have. I'm, I'm just saying non-vocal. Like it's just I'm sitting here thinking about all like, non-vocal, yeah. Yeah, me and Pippa right now, and when you're away from your loved ones and staying quarantine, a lot of us are using Skype, Zoom, whatever to communicate. Like, I don't know if you saw SNL sketch this weekend. I did. I, it did it. I
1: went. To, I fell asleep, but yes, I will. Okay. to I'll have to catch it later.
0: Anybody, you know, I guess for the American listeners, Saturday Night Live they did uh, it, it, you know comedy relief. Uh, we need it, and they did a Zoom call, and it's just. It, it, everybody's doing zoom calls right now you're teaching classes through zoom i mean you and i both my
1: three-year-old right zoomed now. with one of his teachers instructors yeah, yeah
0: like you know and you have like 20 people on the screen and oh my god the one where uh, i say it but the, the woman poor woman takes the computer in the bathroom doesn't realize everybody can see her
1: well, let me tell you, Chris. I mean, sometimes the bathroom is the only place you can go to get a little peace and quiet.
0: She didn't think she, her video was on.
1: So oh, it was no. not that. Oh, no. I, I, yeah. I would go in there like knowing I'm in there and like, okay, shut the door. Like they, they won't find me in here. They usually find right. me.
0: Right. No, she had to use the potty. Anyways. So everybody these days is using a lot of communication. So mm-hmm. being that you you really miss that human interaction. So like you and I always video when we do our podcast, I'm just sitting here listening to you thinking it's non-vocal communication. And I think this is something I always teach my students. It's going on all the time. Oh yeah. And your, your mind, your subconscious, you're always trying to analyze another person, how are they feeling? How are they, you know, are they healthy? You know, are you, yeah, there's all these happy, really sad? There's
1: these super cool uh, studies in infants and I won't be able to like quote them properly, but just in general, of how, at such a young age where infants really start picking up on the first, the facial expressions of their mom and then other, the, mm-hmm. the dad and siblings. And, and it starts, that wiring starts really early. Really it's, young. it's so really important young. for yeah. our social cooperation is right. so important for our survival, or at least it theoretically
0: used to be. And so,
1: yeah. I just
0: think I, I, when you're going through that, it just clicked in my head. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I think I've. Expressed all those emotions to her in the past month. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Pip is probably like, Oh, he's mad today. I probably look like our relative. She's like, Oh God, you know, and then other days I'm like, Oh my God, how you do it? You know, so non-vocal communication, I think it just, I was trying to bring it home for everybody is think about it in your own day to day life in humans. Here we have a species that's our closest relative. Imagine what they do. Right. So that's what Angie's talking about. Anyways, really cool stuff. They,
1: and they have a play. Yep. I did that. I definitely did that. So, you know, very, very, very expressive creatures. Bonobos are, I mean, they're just awesome. And so we talked about vocalizations. We talked about Mm -hmm. visual or facial expressions, but Mm -hmm. they're also, which a lot of us are missing right now for away from our loved ones, but they also have a lot of tactile communications, very, important mm-hmm. in, uh, in the bonobo society. And one of the more fun ones is going to be a form of communication with genitalia rubbing or AKA a bonobo handshake.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: they often greet each other in a, um, with touch, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, very important to their society. And, uh, and although that's very hard for humans to relate to, I know that people aren't shaking hands right now when they're in meetings no. and things like that when they, when they are out in public. And so it's obviously an important part of our, of our society as well. And so. Yeah.
0: Imagine that. Like imagine that it's mm-hmm. you meet somebody and it's like, you know, you shake hands or you give them a hug or, you know, if, if they're close to you or whatever that part of us, you feel better about that person, right? It's like. You know, so when you touch somebody yeah. else, you know. Of course. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. I mean, hugging, yeah. you have uh, oxytocin yeah. being released, things like mm-hmm. that. And so,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, we can definitely relate. And it's a good segue into some of their social behavior. And once again, I I can't do it all justice because I'm not an expert. But just some some highlights of bonobo social behavior is that in general, they're just peace-loving Easygoing, overall happy-go-lucky great apes. Bonobos live in these highly tolerant societies, which typically include female dominance hierarchies that help maintain cohesion. Surprise, surprise, right? And, uh, and then they also will relieve or regulate tensions between, uh, troop members through sexual behavior. So to expand that even further or even deeper, which is for me it was just completely mind-blowing, is that the bono- bonobos are the only great ape that doesn't wage war on each other and kill.
0: And we so matriarchal, right? So females are the leaders unlike chimpanzees. Chimpanzees are the exact opposite. The males are dominant, right?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So you have this peace loving hippie commune of chimpanzee like bonobos, their own species. Mm-hmm. And then you go north of the river and it's waging war, killing crazy. Like, what lessons can we learn in well, humanity with that? So,
1: yeah, a lot. I mean, that, well, that's what these researchers are really passionate about and they look into their societies and, and their thoughts and their feelings and their emotions. And and I'll touch on a little bit of some of the work that's been done, but overall bonobos are underfunded and understudied. So that's why you should care. And we'll give you some websites to check out and some Facebook groups to like, uh, and some places to support because it's just, they're just underfunded. I don't, I mean, besides mm-hmm. where they live and the fact that it's hard to get there uh, and because family groups, like they live for so long, you know, even in the wild, probably 20, 30, 40 years, it's hard to get these long-term studies on the different family groups. But what we, what researchers do know is that monobos like to live in larger groups. Uh, it's called a fission fusion society. But what they'll do is they will move into these smaller or fission groups when they need to based on uh, availability of food or prey items or the time of year. And what ends up happening is the females run the show. So to make all this work, the female that has a higher ranking, uh, will basically keep her sons in her, in her group or in her troop. The females after they come of age are the ones that have to leave the family or the troop and go seek a different group, uh, in order to, uh, join, Pro-
0: procreate, and procreate but and things like that. That's and the so- way they mm-hmm. maintain genetic diversity. So they're not all inbred and.
1: Right. Right. And so, and so the troop sizes, the group sizes can depend, uh, once again on basically the season or what the, the different age and rank of the members in the, in the troop are, but a son will basically inherit kind of the hierarchy of his, of his, his mother. So Mm -hmm. it's really interesting. And at one research site called Wamba, the groups are a little larger and they can reach up to 30 individuals, but regardless of the group size, there is just strong affiliation or friendliness of course with each other, like I said, to maintain like just so there's no, you know, there's no tension. Whenever there's a fight, they, they, um, maybe are romantic with each other and, and work, work, work their way through it really quickly. But what's so fascinating, Chris, is that they're like that with unrelated, unknown bonobos in the wild. So if they come across, another bonobo that they don't know. They're not related to. They never met before. He might even be peering at them. I don't know, glaring at them. They're still super friendly and they're just like, come on down to Woodstock, man. It's time. It's, and, it is. You know, and they, and they, <laughs> they and they'll are. greet each other attack, you know, do some tactile, you yeah. know, touching and things like that. And it's just, it's just not seen like we talked about in chimpanzees. It's nope. just this friendly, I mean, Chris, they're so friendly and that's mm-hmm. where I know, and this, this, this whole COVID-19 thing is really highlighted, I think, how altruistic humans are and how above and beyond people will go for complete strangers. Yeah. And oh, our, of course absolutely. our news cycles don't always highlight that and mm-hmm. we have, Every country has their own it's stories like, of uh, war and, you know. Un- idiotic Yeah, unpleasant yeah, yeah. And not to say that, you know, there's not little issues going on here in communities. But in general, there's just a massive upswell of people doing things, trying to keep people they don't know healthy and alive. And thanking the medical staff and the animal care staff and the janitors and the food store employees and the food distributors. So, and I'm of course not able to mention every essential Everybody. business, but so, but this for us is somewhat unprecedented. Usually we're a little bit like I know. egotistical and just think of ourselves Selfish. and our family and all that. And yeah. so the Vinobos have been doing this for a long time. And Chris, so. Dr. Brian Hare, or Hare, excuse me, I'm sure I'm not saying that right, worked on these really cool studies that found bonobos will help a strange bonobo, so a bonobo they've never met before, they have no relation to, will help a stranger, strange bonobo, get what they want, a food item, a toy, whatever it is. And so it's not... They will help somebody so that that animal can get the food. They get nothing out of it. Okay. Well, it's a very, very big display of altruistic behavior. And we see that in humans, especially with little kids and some adults. Uh, And I, but like I said, we're seeing it big time right now and living through this pandemic. And so it's just really interesting. They're trying to tweak out more details of like, How frequently and, and what Mm -hmm. is the item that they'll, they'll help them achieve and get. But some of the studies they really do are really intricate and well thought out and well designed. And they just make you go, Oh my gosh. I, Mm -hmm. I'm not that nice. I wouldn't do that first. I typically wouldn't do that for a stranger. So, and then, and then they did another really cool study where people may not know this and I don't understand the total physiology behind it, but we all know that yawning is kind of contagious.
0: Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, thought yeah. to be, it's
1: pretty much a uniquely human thing. Like, uh, that, that, and it starts when, with infants, um, at a very young age that will start yawning when they see an adult or another human yawn. Well, they found this same darn thing with bonobos. They would put an unknown, unfamiliar bonobo video up for a bonobo to watch. And this unknown bonobo would yawn on the screen. And sure enough that the bonobo in real life would just like start yawning. So just really, I mean, we talk about, and I know people are like, why does that matter? From from a social, emotional, mechanistic point of view, I just think that there's a lot that can be garnered as far Mm -hmm. as why we behave the way we behave. So for people that maybe have issues where maybe they're not as empathetic or some kind Mm -hmm. of neuro or for people that may have some kind of neuro-based like emotional or some uh, issues or things like that. There, there's a lot that I believe these animals can teach us um, to help us shed a little bit more light into our own behavior and our own neural physiology. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just, it's just incredible. And, and I don't think I have to go too deep into how intelligent they are because it's very well known. Of course, the chimpanzees are extremely intelligent, but some scientists, Chris, believe mm. the bonobos are actually the most intelligent primate other than, of course, humans.
0: No, I think even above us. <laughs> right. <laughs> even, well, though to, yeah. even though they have been, yeah, even though they've been to the moon yet, but yeah. you, know, you never know. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, and well, and because they, they do, they, they teach yeah. their young social skills. Like you mentioned, they mm-hmm. use tool, they share food, they work together to, to gain access to food. Uh, so and they're just like, they're not aggressive. And if there is any like tension or aggression, they know how to mitigate it. So it doesn't turn Mm -hmm. into, um, chimpanzee like or human like behavior, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, and there was even another study that came across where bonobos have the ability based on, I believe just facial kind of visual cues to tell if another bonobo is social or antisocial. Mm. And rather like they should approach them, and if so, and they and mm-hmm. and the study was even hinting at or supporting that bonobos, were maybe even actually, more drawn to the antisocial bonobo, or like would want to help or things like that. Mm-hmm. So, and like I said, this is for like a a completely under researched animal, in my opinion. Yes,
0: I know, especially yeah, oh yeah, oh especially
1: yeah. if, uh for a a great ape. So
0: yeah and it just that there's so many differences between them and chimpanzees, mm-hmm. right they're, they're teasing out. It's not their social structure. their culture. I mean definitely culture they have culture
1: cooperation, and they share food yeah very it's tolerant. So very socially tolerant like and I feel yeah. like and especially living in a house with three boys. Mm-hmm uh, right now. <laughs> you poor thing. Yeah. Ah, uh, that tolerance uh, is like, I feel like I have a little bit of it, but I could always yeah. use more. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know It's like, you need some feminine company. I
1: have, other a, than yes, zoom. I have a girl dog and a girl cat and we like, we like stick together, uh, but I just put flea and tick medicine on them. So I can't even pet them today. So there's that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and zoom, isn't it right? You just can't no, use exactly. it. You need that. Not, not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, we could do a whole thing of behavior and we definitely need to get one of those researchers on, but okay. Talk about reproduction because I know one of the things that is a major concern of mine now is their slow generation interval. And because we're down at dangerously low numbers, it, it's, you know, what is their reproduction look like in their society?
1: Well, in general, bonobos are, polygonandrous, which means females can be approached by and copulate with any male in the group, unless it's her relation, unless it's one of her sons. And sometimes the breeding and and the copulation is more of a form of social bond formation than potentially even uh to reproduce, right? So mm-hmm. it's hard for researchers a lot of times when we, we look at a lot of the, you and I are obviously hardcore reproductive biologists, mm-hmm. uh, or at least mm-hmm. we were in our past life. And so some of those things are harder to tweak out because their behavior were, is, is, can be pretty promiscuous at all times, not just because they are an estrus. But when a female bonobo is an estrus, uh, there's, a lot of physical changes in her genitalia, which is somewhat similar to chimpanzees, of course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so she's, you know, informing the in the male that it is time to breed and she may breed with multiple males. And some, some researchers think that because she might be cop- copulate with many males, that they don't, the paternity might be unknown. And so mm-hmm. that could also potentially help with the getting alongness as far as the male dominant animal or bonobo in the, in the troop, uh, will protect all of the offspring or more, even more, a, a better way to say it is won't, there, there isn't any acts of infanticide or harming or maiming of, uh, of an yeah. infant. And so there's yeah. something it's never been, that's never been recorded in bonobos. And it's something that's really interesting with maybe their model of just kind of being a free love Woodstock <laughs> type. type. Pers- type <laughs> I said person. Personality. But I meant, yeah. yeah uh, animal. <laughs> and society, so. Yeah. But, um, gotcha. and that when the female is really receptive though, for which means she is, you know, going to ovulate soon. Um, she, uh, that, that high estrus period, high estrogen period is going to last about 10 to 20 days. And the gestation period for a Bonobo is about 240 days, which is similar to us.
0: No, eight, nine months. Yeah.
1: yeah. So a little shy yeah. and yeah. in general, one offspring, right? So when we talk about a slower gener- generation, generation m- interval, that's one of the reasons that uh, the female will only have one offspring. And Chris, once the infant is born, there is a lot of parental investment. So, uh, all mm-hmm. you parents out there, you're nodding your head. Yeah, it's yep. it, 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 the struggle is real, right? So, but we do that because the payoff is so big, right? So, and so in general, the mother is going to provide a large amount of parenting, but the males can contribute. They definitely protect the group. They'll alert when there's danger. They're They share food, which is huge and, uh, and they might, and they'll, they can even help protect the young if there's any, any, any other dangers. So, and just like our human babies, uh, infant bonobos are born pretty helpless and they are enjoying their mother's milk for a long, long time. And they'll of course cling to their mothers and ride on the front of their mothers for a long time and, Weaning, so that's the time when they're no longer receiving milk from their mom, It's a really gradual process. And from what researchers can tell is it usually doesn't stop. So weaning stops when um the juvenile is four years old. So all my mama friends that breastfed for a year. Kudos. Yeah. You guys are amazing. But now take four it years. up. Yeah. Three more years, right? Four years. And so – it's pretty crazy. Um, but it, it's really important for the, the infant and then juvenile to be with mom so much and so closely to learn what foods to eat, where, where to go, how to protect themselves, how to open this, how to t- use tools. I mean, all, all the things we teach our kids, like obviously not all of it, but a lot of it is very relatable. And one of my favorite things I read that I could really relate to is, The, the mom and the, the infant or juvenile, they will nest together. But as weaning is happening, the mom's like, okay, you need to go make your own nest. It's time to make your own nest. And so it'll help kind of kick, kick the four year old or three year old or whatever out, out of, out of, out of her nest. And so I was like, well, I have made my kids a nest, AKA their bunk beds in their own room. Yet right. these little guys are still sneaking into my nest on a lot of the nights, yeah. which yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. of
1: course is like, is what it is. What are you going to do? Right. And, uh but yeah, I just, I, I just thought that that was really relatable. It's just, it's a gradual process. And from a physiological point of view, Chris, you'll find this really fascinating is so while the females are lactating, very similar to humans, females are going through this time where they're not cycling and it's called amrea, up to a year. Even though the female is heavily still nursing her infant, she will still exhibit signs of estrus. So estrogen peaks, which in humans, uh, uh, in general, of course there's no perfect setting scenario all the time, but in general, a female, human, will not resume cycling until... Breastfeeding has really slowed down and or stopped right. due to right. the different hormone cascades involved. So yeah, researchers are just pretty, pretty stunned by this. And because her estrogen's high and her, her genitalia is swollen and telling males, hello, right. exactly. hello, uh, she will copulate. And um, but these copulations do not lead to conception. So she's not fertile, which is really fascinating right so i mean from a reproductive biology point of view of women that either have trouble or i mean there's just yeah. Yeah, I, there's yeah, so much that we just we just don't know and the amount of offspring that a bonobo will have in her lifetime is unknown just because these long-term studies really haven't quite been put in place the way they have with other great apes but it's suggested that she might have four or five um, offspring in her lifetime from some of those okay. studies so, so
0: um, yeah it's it's a long generation interval it's long
1: yeah yeah and then and so bonobos these these juveniles I'm talking about the females once again will when they get old enough reach independence around seven to nine or maybe a little bit sooner in females but that's when they'll they'll go you know seek another another uh, another family group. And that's even then they might not be successfully bred or depending on, depending on their rank and things like that, uh, for till they're like 13 or 15. It's about reproductive maturity. So, so it is a long time, a long time. from ground to reproductive maturity. And, and, yeah. and then you only just produce a couple of Yeah. I mean, it's
0: it's just extremely maintain, similar. Then, yeah. It's extremely. Well, you, yeah. Too-
1: yeah, it's extremely similar to humans, um, except for, uh, all, humans once again can have kids more frequently if they want to, if they're brave yeah. and crazy. No, no, I'm just yeah, no. <laughs> One two. of my best friends has four boys within oh, like no. seven years. Oh. Tristie, she gives me oh. all of her cliff notes. So I love that girl. I could not yeah. do what I do without her because she just, she I gives know. me the like, condensed cliff note version of how to survive boys that mama that mama four boys yeah that mama's got it down she's a pro
0: yeah i know so yeah so conservation we talked about you know the numbers anywhere from five thousand, some scientists up to twenty thousand. but you know a lot of them are 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 hunted or killed one thing they see is young bonobos are, are taken to be pets or sold to zoos not accredited zoos but like you know we're we're seeing this you know with the tiger king Stuff going around. But you know, they say when these young bonobos are taken, like five or six adults are killed just to get that young one. So it's it's really horrific. Um, so, you know, it's just I've got a couple of good graphics that came out from the Bonobo Conservation Initiative. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of good organizations. Angie's gonna cover another one. Really, you know, some conservation optimism. They talk a lot about what. Is causing bonobos in in peril. I'm going to, I'm going to put these on the show notes, but it's going to, it talks a little bit about, you know, the, the human conflict, deforestation things that are, you know, driving bonobos to extinction and then ways that we can turn around and make bonobos thrive. And it's really an investment in the community there. That's what we need to do. So who's, uh, before I get to conservation tips, who's out there? I mean, there's a number of organizations, but which one did you pick? Uh,
1: Oh, the one I picked is the one that I fell in love with five or six years ago when I read the Bonobo Handshake by Vanessa Williams. Uh, It is called Lola Ya Bonobo. And we will put it in our show notes, a link to it. And they are on Facebook at L-O-L-A-Y-A-Bonobo.org. And this is where a lot of the research uh, that I've, I have talked about on the podcast has come from because Lolo Yabonobo is the world's only organization, only organization that provides sanctuary for orphan bonobos from the bush mm-hmm. b- bush meat trade issue. They've successfully released bonobos back into the wild, which is incredible, and they're basically on the front lines. They are the conservation heroes and the Democratic Republic of Congo fighting the good fight every day, doing research, providing sanctuary, uh, and just really trying to rescue, rehabilitate, release, and protect bonobos. And I've been following them for, I don't know, like I said, probably like five or six years on Facebook. And they provide a lot of... Um, uplifting stories, but then also a lot of uh, realistic uh, what's happening. And they're oh an God. amazing yeah. organization. I highly recommend that, especially during this time of uncertainty, uh, they're committed to protecting the bonobos. They have been for a long time. And even with this pandemic going on, it's not stopping them. And so any help you can give, and obviously I know money's tight for tons of people. So donating is not your thing. Just you can, share their social media pages, uh, tell a friend about them, uh, download, uh, the Bonobo handshake, uh, and just learn about these conservation heroes that are fighting to protect them. And you'll learn a lot more about them just by liking them on Facebook or Instagram or in the social media sites. And yeah, it's, uh, As Chris and I know, just a little bit of deep dives that we did into some of their behavior and just their personality and their societies. Hopefully, you'll fall in love with bonobos the way that we have. And yeah, they're just amazing.
0: They're they're awesome. They're so awesome. They're just just such a great, beautiful species. You want to look at pictures of them. You want to watch videos of them.
1: Their eyes. I'm looking at a picture right now. Their eyes are so intelligent and so genuine and kind and and this is not the last
0: podcast on bonobos for us i mean we will be revisiting bonobos i promise you so yeah
1: yeah Yeah. there's it could go a lot longer with a lot of like it had to skimp kind of on the um on the behavior and intelligence and all of that but they're they're definitely a fun species they are really only exhibited in about seven to nine zoos in North America. I'm not sure about mm-hmm. Europe and Australia, but in mm-hmm. and, and, uh, seven to nine accredited zoos. So if you are, if you happen to be in Ohio, you can check them out at the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens, uh, Columbus Zoo and Aquarium, mm-hmm. Fort Worth, Texas, Jacksonville Zoo. So I'll have to okay. head, head that way. See Close if zone. I can uh, maybe get some behind the scenes, Memphis Zoo, uh, Milwaukee Zoo. And of course, and you're not gonna Yep, lift. San Diego.
0: I know I got to go tell Mike, well, they have chimpanzees. They're fun to watch. So, all right. Conservation tip of the week. That's good is stay home until this pandemic's over. But also if you're ever sick, don't go to a zoo. Don't go out to a zoo. You can infect the primates there. So, you know, I just say, if you're not feeling well, don't go to the zoo. And don't go to work,
1: right? It's yes. kind of the same, yeah, 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 yeah. the same concepts. And I mean, I know that uh, as a as a zookeeper, they all we actually had, and most people are probably going to their jaws going to hit the ground when they hear this, but we actually had unlimited sick days uh-huh. because of that. They didn't want a worker
0: keepers. To, yeah, a keeper sick.
1: to ever feel that they had to come into to work if they had even a cough, uh, because it is so important for the co-workers health in the area that you work but also for certain animals and it's just not if you're not feeling well it's
0: it's not it's not good to be around
1: animals right in general so yeah
0: yeah 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 all right well great podcast we'll be back next week thank you so much
1: thank you everyone
0: listen learn share join the movement at allcreaturespod.com